Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. Last week, we, uh, I, I kind of gave you a pattern for understanding how to, how to approach the Scriptures, how to approach God's Word. It's kind of a fundamental principle about getting it right. And, 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 and here's the axiom. Here's the axiom. Uh, you cannot live what you do not understand. And you cannot understand what you have not heard. And so I'm going to ask you to remember what we learned last week. Jesus said uh, several times in, when he was here on the planet, he said to people, let him who has ears to hear, hear. And so uh, having ears to hear means to listen with the intent to know and understand. It, 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 it's, it's, uh, it can be translated, as I said um, last week, uh, to lean forward with your ears. It's, it's, it's to point them, it's to jump in. Um, you cannot approach God's Word casually, flippantly. You can't hydroplane over it. The Bible's not a lazy person's book. It is a little bit closed. Uh, God reveals Himself, but there's, a, there's some challenges to properly understanding ancient documents. But in His own Word, He gives us principles. And the first principle is, listen intently with the, with the intent of understanding. Once you, under, once you hear, you can understand. Once you understand, you can live. But you cannot live what you do not understand. It is important what you believe, because what you believe actually translates into what you do what you live. <clears throat> How many of you have ever been to Guam? How many of you ever been to Guam? Got a few people here? Yeah, got a few, got a few. Yes, would you just love to go back? Yeah, okay. It, today would be a good time to go. 1941 would be a bad time to have been there. Guam became uh, a, um, um, a possession of the United States in, uh, 18, let's see, 1898 after the... Uh, Spanish-American War, and in 1941, the Japanese forces invaded the island of Guam, uh, captured it, and held it until 1944, as we're moving toward the end of the war, when uh, U.S. forces reinvaded and retook the island of, uh, of Guam. Now, fast forward 28 years. 28 years later, in 1972, some Farmers there uh, came upon a man, discovered a man. His name was, um, make sure I get this right, uh, Shiochi Yokoi. He was a uh, sergeant in the Japanese army who had been in hiding for 28 years, believing the war was still on. He, had, he was, when, he, when the Japanese forces retreated, he was separated from his colleagues and uh, from his partners, and he hid in the jungles of Guam for 28 years, uh, carving out simple survival tools, barely eking out a living off the land, foraging food, that kind of thing, 28 years. He lived as if he were an, a man uh, being pursued, living behind enemy lines for 28 years when there was no enemy. Why? Because he believed something. 
He believed, that is believing it with all your heart. Would you say? Would you say? I think he was at the, he, you could say at best he was sincere. He believed it with all of his heart. He believed it to be reality, but it was not true. He was living what he believed to be true. What you believe is important because it will make a big impact on the way you live. That is true with God's Word. Now, we have been trying uh, in our journey through the book of Galatians to answer the question for believers, for those of you who are already followers of Christ, why do, if I'm a follower of Jesus and I have been crucified with Christ, why do I still struggle with sin? Why do I, why do I commit the same sins over and over again and what can I do about it? Can I do anything about it? And the answer is yes. That's a big question. Uh, three weeks ago, I told you we would not sufficiently answer the question in one sermon or two sermons. This will be sermon number three, and we're not going to be finished yet. But we come to a critical, critical um, intersection in your ability and my ability to win over sin on a daily basis practically Today, we come to a passage of Scripture with some truths that we must understand to be successful. You, can't, you, you will not be successful at this, at the Christian life, at winning over sin on a daily basis unless you understand this. There's only one problem. It's difficult to understand. So, I'm going to ask you to work hard again. I'm going to ask you to sit up on the edge of your seat. I'm going to ask you to choose to engage uh, mentally and ask God to awaken your heart spiritually and ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes that we may see and understand wonderful things from His Word and um, that we may live it because we can't live what you don't... Yeah, something like that. Understand. So, uh, we're going to jump in. Turn to the book of Romans, the book of Romans chapter 6. It is the uh, sixth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Let me read these to you, and you follow along. <clears throat> Paul is writing, and he says, What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Underline that phrase, died to sin. We're going to need to unpack that one. Verse 3, Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. For if we have been joined with Him in the likeness of His death, remember that phrase, joined with Him or united with Him, that's what happens to us when we become Christians, when we are converted, when we are born again, when we um, uh, come to faith in Christ, when we receive Christ, whatever language you use for conversion, we are joined with Him, we are placed in union with Him. For if we have been, verse 5, joined with Him in the likeness of His death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of His resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him. Now, it sounds dangerously close to our 
verse in the book of Galatians that we've camped out at, Galatians 2.20, where Paul wrote there, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. So here we are again. He's writing it in another place. We know that our old self, verse 6, was crucified with him in order that sin's dominion, that'll be important to remember, sin's dominion over the body may be abolished so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin's claims. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him because we know that Christ having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For in light of the fact that he died, he died to sin once for all. But in light of the fact that he lives, he lives to God. So, you too consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons of unrighteousness but as those who are alive from the dead offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness for sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law but under grace now got it (laughs) okay let's see that's a lot of stuff, isn't it? You know something big's going on there, obviously, but you read it and he's I've died to sin, dead alive to God, like him in his resurrection, joined with him. What? But we've got to understand this if we're going to win over sin on a daily basis. Now, the good news is you can. God sends his Holy Spirit to be our teacher, to guide us into all truth, and that truth will set us free, free from the power of of sin practically over our lives on a day-by-day basis. You can win over sin if you get this right, and if I get this right. So let me set it up this way. Let's talk about B.C., before Christ, before Christ in your life and before Christ in my life. The Bible says uh, that there, in the, all the aspects of salvation, there is a before Christ, there is a beginning with Christ being saved, there's a continuation, the sanctification process that those of us here who are believers in Jesus are in right now. And then there's the completion when we step out of this life into eternity. Let's go back to the before Christ, before coming to faith in Christ. The Bible says before Christ, we are not able to not sin. Write that down. Before Christ equals not able to not sin. It says it this way in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. And you were, were before Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked. I mean, lived. You lived it out according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authorities over the lower heavens. That's the devil and the spirit now working in the disobedient, we too all previously, before Christ, lived among them in our fleshly desires, our own flesh, our own, the, uh, the desires of our, uh, our own evil desires, apart from sinful society and the devil. We all, 
We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath or under the judgment of God as the others were also. Now, the Bible describes us before Christ as in terms of, of slavery, slaves to sin. We are owned and operated by the realm of of sin. It rules over us. It reigns over us like a king. Uh, we are under its power and control. We are at its every beck and call. Again, as I've said over the years, and we've kind of laughed at my old buddy back home who was talking to me about this stuff, and he said, Ah, oh, Keith, I can resist anything but temptation. Now, we, that, we're, we are, that means we are not able to not sin. That's important to remember. No power. We, we can tough it out sometimes, but we are, we are so affected by our sin, it affects every part of our being and hinders our ability to think right, choose right, feel right, relate right, connect to God. Uh, that's what the word total depravity means in theological terms. It does not mean that you're as morally bad as you could possibly be. Total depravity means that living in the realm of sin, it has affected every part of our being so that we cannot function right, and certainly we cannot not sin. We have no power against it. Before Christ, a person, if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, and we have usually anywhere from 4 to 5 percent of the crowd here are not Christians yet. You're checking things out, and that's good because our church exists largely in part for far from God people to maybe give it a shot, and we're glad you're here. But if you are not a Christian, that means that you can honestly say, I can't help it. I can't help it. And if you really cannot help it, here's what you, you need to use this as a, um, a spiritual checkup for yourself. If you're here and you say, I just can't, I can't help it then I don't care if you've been baptized in the Jordan River so many times that every fish in it knows you on a first-name basis. I don't care if you're in a Baptist church and you walked the aisle in every August revival and got saved all over again. I don't care if you were raised in one of the great liturgical traditions and you were uh, baptized properly as an infant and you, had and you went through confirmation, all the classes, and uh, you had first communion, and I don't care what you did, Whatever happened to you was not, was not being saved. It was not coming to Christ. If you honestly can say, I can't help it, I have absolutely no power, it's possible, highly likely, that you did not come to faith in Christ. Now, there's another, op there's another option that we'll come to later on, but you need to be asking that, that question. The Apostle Paul says in our passage today, however, that it is possible to be made able to not sin. Wow. To be able to not sin. And, and the Bible says that that's one of the things that happens to you and one of the things that happens to me when we are converted, when we repent, when we turn from our sin with intent of forsaking it and turn to Jesus, believing in Him, His perfect life, His death on the cross, His resurrection from the dead, and we believe it to be true to the point that we place our active trust, faith in Him alone to make us a Christian, the Jesus plus nothing plan. 
When that happens, one of the things that he does for us is he fundamentally changes our capacity from not being able to not sin to being able to not sin. It's one of the things he does here. Now, this all happens because of our union with Christ, being joined with him. Let me, let me go back to a couple of weeks and hit this very quickly. When we place our active faith and trust in Christ and are converted, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit immerses us into the body of Christ, baptizes us into Jesus. And we are in Christ and He is in us. We are in union with Christ. And it is, first of all, a representative union. A representative union. It means that Jesus... um, was our agent. He was our representative. He was our ambassador who uh, lived a perfect life on our behalf, went to the cross and paid the penalty for sin on our behalf, rose from the dead to new life to live to God on our behalf, so that it is just as if you and I lived in perfect obedience and atoned for our sin and rose from the dead to new life. He was our representative. Now, There was another guy who was our representative, unfortunately, and his name was Adam. Remember him? Want to look him up in heaven and say, thanks, bud. Well, our great, great, great times ex-grandfather, Adam, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, let me see if I can find it, chapter 15, verse 22, it says this, for as in Adam all die. Oh, whoa. Define all, Lord, like all of us. Adam was also our representative. He also was our, was our agent. He was also our ambassador. And when he determined to rebel against God, it was just as if you were there in person doing it yourself. You and I got credit for the whole thing. We inherited all that from uh, our father Adam, which placed us, which means when the Bible says we were, David says in Psalm 51, I was born in sin. It means that we were inherited this and we were born into the realm of sin under the legal penalty and the practical power of sin over our lives. That meant we owed God a sin debt and that we were under its control, and we were not able to not sin. But he goes on to say, just as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. He said, all who are in Adam die, but all who are in Christ live, are made alive. Just as Adam was our legal representative in his sin, Jesus was our legal representative in his sinless life and atoning death on the cross. Now, let me give you another illustration. I gave you the one of a sports agent two weeks ago. I gave you the one of an ambassador to another country, a diplomat. Let me give you another one. Uh, In uh, 1982, Allison and I, my wife and I, uh, came to Fayette County from Dallas-Fort Worth, and we owned a home there, and 1980 was during the oil bust out there, and it was kind of a bad market like it is today. And so uh, we were still a young couple, and finally a year later our house sold, but we did not, we couldn't afford the time nor the money to travel back to Dallas-Fort Worth to be at the closing. (gasps) So what do we do? Well, this great, great godly man, a deacon in our church, Mr. Bob Eden was our real estate agent, and he said, no problem. And we executed what? 
power of attorney for Bob Eden to be our legal representative at the table at the closing. And whatever he said, just as if we were there saying it. Whatever he signed, it was just as if we were there signing it. We were, we were whatever, whatever the deal was, it, we made it. And we got, we got credit for it, not Bob. When Jesus lived his perfect life of obedience, and when Jesus went to the cross to pay the atone, his atoning debt for our sin, and when Jesus rose from the dead to new life to live to God, when we placed our faith in him, he, we gave him power of attorney. And it was, just, it was just as if you lived perfect obedience to God. It was just as if you went to the cross and atoned for the sin. It was just as if you had, had been raised to new life in Christ. Really, he is our... And so at that point, we were set free from the legal penalty of sin. Yes, I'm telling you, preaching to mostly white folks, you never know how you do. <laughs> I'm so glad we're getting more and more people of color in here because y'all help me a little better. But uh, uh, so, so uh, you, we're set free from the penalty of sin. Wow. Therefore, we were also set free from the power of sin over our lives. He was our legal representative. So this is what Paul means when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. He's saying, I was co-crucified with Jesus. It's just like I was being nailed to the cross, except he did it, except he did it. And so legally, out there, up there in God's record book, the penalty's paid for. Uh, to die to sin, first of all, means to die to its legal rule and reign over us. To die to sin, second, means that we die to its it's real practical dominion, power, rule over our daily lives. It does not mean that we no longer sin, but that sin no longer rules over us. It means that we are now made able to not sin. We now have that capacity. We're no longer a slave. The war is over. We don't have to hide in the jungle of Guam any longer. It, it's over. It's done. There is no enemy pursuing us. We're, the, it, 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 he's a bluff. It's, he's bluffing. He has no power. Sin tries to command us to do wrong things, and we go, get away. We, have, we are now made able to not sin. So here's the question. Here's the question then, uh, if you're tracking, and it's this one. Okay, pastor, good. So, so here's my question. If we if we died to sin like you were describing, why, I'm back to my big question, why then in the world do I struggle with this sin habit that I have? Same sin, oh, I'm a Christian, I know I am, why do I struggle with this over and over and over? Well, let me, let me define it. In verse 2, when Paul asks the question, take a look at it on your note sheet there, how can we who died to sin still live in it? He was not referring to the activity of committing specific sins. He was referring to continuing to live in the realm of sin, to be, an, to be owned and operated 
by sin, to be under the legal and practical rule of sin in our lives. Uh, The word live here means to continue or to abide in, and it refers to the settled course of our lives. In Romans chapter 8, verse 7, it says this, the sinful mind, one under sin's rule or dominion, the sinful mind, the one that has as a settled course of life sin, is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Not able to not sin. Not able to submit to God's law. Don't have any ability to do that. And even so, we're hostile to God. We don't like God. We don't like His ways. We don't like His will. We mock it. We don't want, we don't want anything to do with it. But not the believer. Not the believer. The believer who has died to sin's reign and rule or dominion delights in God's law. In other words, we approve it. We approve of God. We think God is good and has our best interest at heart. And we think God's Word is good and it has our best interest at heart. And that all of His will and ways as described in the Bible are good and righteous and holy and profitable. And all the promises of God are for our benefit. And we would love, we love it and we would like for it to be a part of our lives. Even though at times we may struggle to obey it. We have a fundamental love for and affinity for God and His Word. Now, let's distinguish between the activity of sins, which is true for all believers, and the dominion, which is true for all unbelievers. Unbelievers, remember, are not able to not sin. Believers are able to not sin. The presence of sin will never be abolished in this life, nor the influence of sin altered. It will always, temptations will always come to believers. Its rule and its domination, however, will be destroyed. In the Bible there, it says, uh, oh, I lost my verse there. It says in verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished. Some of them says that may be Uh, I think in the NIV it says it may be uh, destroyed. Is that what it says? Destroyed, is that right? Done away with. The literal translation is rendered powerless. It's not annihilated. It doesn't disappear. It's just rendered powerless. It's not going to win. And so... Our attitude towards sin as believers has been made fundamentally different from that of unbelievers. Uh, we, are, we are tempted and we sometimes give in to temptations for, to sin from our own evil desires, our flesh, James 1.13 says, from sinful society or the world and the devil, as Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 says. But this is different from having a, fun, a, a settled... Um, disposition towards sin that loves sin and likes to sin and pursues sin and can't wait for it and encourages others to come on and jump in the deep end of the pool like about half of the ads at the Super Bowl do. Like a lot of our society that's always promoting the party lifestyle. Like every night on Entertainment Tonight, people bragging about what they should be ashamed of. Hey, this is good. Calling good what God calls bad. Calling bad what God calls good. 
and liking it, liking it. Yeah, see, it's fundamentally, it's fundamentally different. Rather, the follower of, for the follower of Jesus, our sin is a burden that afflicts us rather than a pleasure that delights us. How's that? That's one of the ways you can tell. You may be struggling to obey God, but if you're a believer, when you disobey God, when you commit sins, you regret it. There's conviction from the Holy Spirit saying, no, 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 this is not good. This is not good for you. It's not good for God. It's not good for the world. You feel there's, there's real guilt, not imagined guilt. There's, some, there's shame that comes. There's mourning. Our, we see our sin is an affliction uh, that we grieve rather than a pleasure that we delight. Now, which are you? When it comes to your sin, is it a, does it bring you pleasure that you delight in and can't wait to do it again? You plan for it and encourage others to join you in it and celebrate it? Or when you do yield to temptation and sin, is you feel like, oh, is it, I grieve it. It's an affliction that I grieve. Well, good. If it's an affliction you grieve, it probably means you did get the real thing. See, the problem with coming to Jesus is you can no longer enjoy your sin. Doggone. You can't, you can't. The most miserable people that I know in the world are, 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 are believers in Jesus who are intentionally, habitually disobedient. You can't enjoy it. You cannot. This means that since we have died to sin, this is what it means when it says we've died to sin and we no longer live in it. We don't live in that world of sin. We live in Christ. We're in a new place uh, uh, positionally. That means we can no longer have a cavalier attitude towards sin. We no longer have any kind of cavalier attitude. No big deal. No big deal. The way we say it in the deep south is this. Brantley, you ever heard this one? Oh, if that's all I ever did wrong. Anybody ever heard that one? Yep, yep. Oh, come on. If that's all I ever did wrong, come on. No, no, no. No cavalier attitude towards sin. If there's any cavalier attitude towards sin, then we're probably not in Christ. We're probably in sin. Now, so here's what is your attitude toward your sin? Then that says something practically about your spiritual condition that you need to take action on. Now, our union with Christ is not only representative. Now, this is where we start getting some power here. It is also spiritual. It is vital. It is organic. What I mean by that is this. It is living and real. There's power there. Uh, Jesus illustrated it in John chapter 15. Write down John chapter 15. You can read it later. With the metaphor of the vine and the branches. He says, I need for you to abide in me as the branch abides in the vine. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. He gives the metaphor of the grapevine and its branches. A, a, a grapevine has branches where the fruit comes, and those branches are organically in a very living way connected to the vine, and they actually get life from the vine. They're not attached in some mechanical way or tacked on with a nail or taped on with duct tape, where no life really comes, where they're just 
up there, but nothing happens. No, no, no. It is a living faith. Our union with Christ is not only representative, it is also vital. It is also living. It is also uh, spiritual. It means He actually, by His Holy Spirit, comes to dwell in us. And, he, and by his, the power that resurrected Him from the dead, the Bible says, is active in our very bodies taking us through the sanctification process of, of, on a continuing basis, transforming us and renewing us, making us like Him. And you can count on that. This is, this is what Paul meant in Galatians 2.20 when he said, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He meant literally. He is living in my body. He is living His life through my body. Now, how do we apply that? Here we go. Last thing for today. We apply it, first of all, by believing the right thing. Remember, we must believe the right thing. Look at verse, uh, verses 10 and 11. For in light of the fact that he died, he died to sin once for all, but in light of the fact that he lives, he lives to God. Here's the punchline today for you and me. Verse 11. You ready? Verse 11. So... You too consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You believe that it's true. Now remember, what's the Bible definition of belief? Belief means that we acknowledge the reality, right? We acknowledge the truth. We say, yes, I believe this is true. And we also then place active trust in it. We... we we live as if it were really true. We live as if it were really true. He says, consider yourselves. Uh, the King James translation says, reckon yourselves. Uh, you, so you consider it, you consider yourself the, to be truly dead to sin but alive to God. You reckon yourself to be truly dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You believe it true that you acknowledge and act in trust upon the truth that you are dead to sin but alive to God. You count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God. You believe that the war is over. You believe that sin has been defeated. You believe that you are no longer behind the enemy lines. You believe that it is true. You cannot live what you do not understand. And if you understand this, you can live it. But we must first believe it. What we believe changes the way that we live. And you say, Pastor, that sounds to me like you're just, you're just, we're just playing games with words here. No, 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 no. There's power in what we believe to be true. God the Holy Spirit uses our knowledge and understanding of the truth of God's Word to empower us to practically no longer let sin rule in our mortal bodies on a daily basis. You can't do that until you understand and acknowledge, get up every day, like Martin Luther, the great reformer 500 years ago, he would get up every day and he would say, look up to heaven and say, I'm accepted. That's how he started every day. I'm accepted. To get up every day and say, wow, I have been crucified with Christ. Co-crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but he lives in me. 
In the life that I now live in this body, I live by faith. I am in Christ. I'm not in sin any longer. It has no power over me. I don't have to pay the penalty for my sin. I've been set free from the penalty of my sin because Christ died for me. I have been set free from the power of sin today because I died with him and have been raised to walk in newness of life. And Lord, you said you would indwell me by your Holy Spirit and give me power at each point to not let sin reign in my mortal body that I shall obey its evil desires. So I'm just going to live as if that were really true. Remember, that's what faith is. Faith is living as if the Bible were really true. So if it, hey, if that was really, really true, would you view your day differently? Sure. Sure. So when temptations come, don't be surprised. Just say, I see you but I don't have to do you. Lord, help me choose because you are now have been made what? Able to not sin. We look to him. He gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to say, see you. You're just a bully. You're just bluffing. You have no power over me. I don't care what you say whether it comes from the devil or from the sinful society or from the evil desires still left over in our own bodies, our flesh, that we, our old nature that we struggle with. Nope. No, I see you. But I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. He lives in me. And so, Lord, give me your presence and power to walk away. And he says he will. He says he will always give you the means of escape. Now, sometimes, but you have to take it. He gives you the power to take it. And sometimes it's like Joseph. When Potiphar's wife approached him and tried to seduce him, what'd he do? Somebody said, yeah, what'd he do? (laughs) (laughs) I saw all the eighth grade guys leaned forward at that point. (laughs) What did he do? He ran. He ran. He ran. Flee the evil desires of youth, Paul said in his letter to Tim. Sometimes you just run. That's good enough. You know that great theologian and philosopher, Archie Campbell, on Hee Haw? Remember that? You, you know, I, I tell this one for years. You know, he's playing that stupid skit where he's the doctor with a big cigar and the thing on his head, and, and this guy comes running. They did the same skit every week, every week for about 100 years. Guy comes running in and says, Doctor, doctor, I broke my arm in three places. And he said, Well, stay out of them places. (laughs) But see, you now have the power to stay out of them places. It comes, first of all, by understanding and knowing what's true. Let me me give you one more illustration, and I want to close this. On September the 6th, 1976... Viktor Ivanovich Belenko, a pilot with the 513th Fighter Regiment of the 11th Air Army uh, Soviet Defense, Soviet Air Defense, flew his plane from a base in Russia to an American air base in Japan and asked for asylum, and we gave it to him. We gave it to him. He was debriefed for five months. He was given a new status, a new identity. He was set up as a bona fide resident of the United States of America, and he became a U.S. citizen in 1980. Uh, He's written a book about his experience 
uh, that, and, and I can't remember the title of the book now, but we'll try to get that to you. It's worth reading. His experience illustrates what happened to you and me as Christians when we died to sin and were made alive to God through faith in Jesus. He, he changed kingdoms. He was given a new identity, a new status. He was no longer a Russian. He was now an American. He was no longer under the rule of what was then an oppressive and totalitarian government. He was now free to experience all of the advantages and resources of living in a free and prosperous country. However, at at that point, he was still the same person. He still had the same personality. He had the same habits. He had the same worldview. He had the same cultural patterns as he did before he flew out of Russia. But he did have a new identity. He did have a new status. He had a new place to live. He had a new opportunity to grow as a free person, to discard the mindset of someone who had lived their entire life living under bondage and to put off uh, the habit patterns of a person under the heel of oppression And he was given all the resources he needed to make a successful transition to American citizenship. Uh, In that sense, he died to his old identity as a Russian, and he was made alive in a new identity, a new place as a U.S. citizen. Therefore, he could then become, in fact, what he already was in status, a new person a new citizen. In Jesus, we believers have been set free from the tyrannical rule of the realm of sin, its legal penalty and its practical power over our lives through our living union with Jesus Christ through faith in Him. And we have now been furnished by God with all the resources needed to, remember, in process, not immediately, but in process and over time, become in fact what we already are in, uh, in status. We've been given all that we need to no longer let sin reign in our mortal bodies. So let's ask for it. Pray with me. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.